You're listening to the Revolution Church Podcast. To learn more, including our gathering times in Crossville, Tennessee, visit us at CrossvilleRevolution.com. Well, as I said, we're in the 14th week of a series uh, through the book of Ephesians. If you're new to Rev Church, maybe you're joining us online for the first time. What we do about 90 to 95% of the time at this church is we preach verse by verse through entire books of the Bible or through large passages of Scripture. We feel like that is the best way to study Scripture for you, for your family, so that you get the full breadth and the full context of everything that is being taught. So far in the book of Ephesians, it's been an amazing series because as we've seen, the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians were really talking about who we are in Christ. In fact, that phrase, in Christ, is used some 27 to 29 times in the first three chapters alone. But we weren't instructed to do anything until chapter 4. Chapters 4 through 6 are when Paul, who was the author of this book, moves into the applicational part of the book of Ephesians. So it's where we take who we are in Christ and we apply it to everyday life. Right now, we're smack dab in the middle of a series of teachings that Paul gave us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit on the roles of the different members of a household. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about wives and how they're to conduct themselves uh, within a family. Then we talked to husbands and how they're to conduct themselves within a family and within a marriage. And today, if you brought your teenager, you're going to be really, really glad, okay, y'all? Because today we are going to address the children uh, and the kids, and then we're going to address the fathers after that. Now, I heard a story about a guy who got hired at a university to be a professor, and he started a class on parenting. And he had no children. He was just married and had no kids. And so when he would teach the class, he would say, these are absolute things you need to do when you parent children. Then he and his wife had a child. He changed his language, and he said, these are suggestions that you need to do when you're raising children. Well, Then he had a second child. He said, these are some loose, very loose things that I would consider doing if you have a child. Well, then they had a third child, and he quit his job, and he quit teaching. (laughs) Listen to me in here, okay? There's going to be some subjective stuff today, but there's also going to be some straight-up stuff from God's Word that we need to know today. Obviously, when you teach a sermon on parenting or how to be a husband and different things like that. Some of the things I'm going to be sharing with you today might be wisdom versus foolishness. It's not that it's necessarily sinful or not sinful to do the things or not do the things. It might just be a wisdom principle or foolishness. So with that in mind, uh, give me a little bit of leeway today as I do the best I can to do Ephesians chapter 6 verses 1 through 4. And we take a look at this passage of Scripture. Let's start in verse 1, and let's do what we always do. Let's stop along the way. And uh, if you're young in here and still living with your parents and not married and not an adult, you're going to be really glad you came today because today is going to greatly encourage you uh, in the first uh, three verses. It says this. Y'all with me? Say, I am. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is what? Is right. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And all the parents in here said, Amen. And all the kids and teenagers said, What happened? 
Come on, y'all. We live in a culture today where everything young is what everybody's trying to be. Young is the thing that influences. Young is the thing that's sexy. Young is the thing that is the good thing. You don't see young people trying to look older. You see older people getting Botox and trying to look younger, in other words, if that's an applicational example. Paul starts this off by basically saying it is a disaster for children to be left to their own devices. Disaster. Again, the tail really wags the dog in many families today, even Christian homes. I like uh, the way one teacher put it when talking about kids today, specifically in the school system. This may not be totally true, but uh, there's a little bit of truth to this because it's kind of funny. Things that are funny are usually funny because they are true. One teacher said, this is how it is today. The teachers are afraid of the principals. The principals are afraid of the superintendents. The superintendents are afraid of the board of education. The board is afraid of the parents. The parents are afraid of the children, and the children are afraid of nothing. First, Paul speaks to the children, and he gives them a command followed by two motivations. And the first motivation is children should obey your parents because you're a Christian. I guess I could say if you're a Christian. The NLT version of what we just read in the NIV says this, children obey your parents because you belong to the Lord for this is the right thing to do. The Good News translation makes it a little bit clearer when it says, Children, it is your Christian duty to obey your parents, for this is the right thing to do. We even have the example of our Savior Jesus. When He was a young child, being obedient to His parents, in Luke chapter 2, verse 51, it says Jesus obeyed his earthly parents, and then, don't miss this, take notes with this, parents, because this is very important, but I don't have time to unpack each one of these. He grew in four different areas, is what the Scripture tells us, and in these four areas, every child needs to grow. If Jesus had to grow in them, then every child needs to grow. It says Jesus obeyed his earthly parents, and he grew in wisdom, which is mental capacity. He grew in stature, which is physical capacity. He grew in favor with men, which is social capacity, and he grew in favor with God, which is spiritual capacity. Again, every child needs to grow in all four of these areas, but the struggle for most parents is we're usually good at one or two of these things, and we struggle in one or two of the others. You're great because you're an athlete at getting your kid to grow in physical stature, but you lack on the spiritual side. You're great on the spiritual side, which, by the way, is the most important. We'll get into that. But you lack on the social side. All four of these areas, every child needs to grow in. From Jesus' example, here's what we see. Obedience to parents does not imply inequality or inferiority. Everyone has equal dignity and importance inside of a household. Have we not seen that when we talked about wives, when we talked about husbands, and now when we talk about children, isn't it great to know that God thinks that all of us have dignity, 
all of us have equality inside a household. But what he's saying is, when children are obedient to parents, it leads to harmony and it leads to blessings, as we'll see here in just a minute. Now, who Paul is speaking to is clearly pre-adult children. He's speaking to unmarried people that still live at home. He's not speaking to infants that don't understand what they're doing and they really don't have a free will and they don't understand. They're a baby. They're too young to even understand. Like babies don't cry uh, to make their parents mad and be disobedient. Babies cry uh, because they're crying for whatever reason it is. He's also not speaking to grown adults, not speaking to adult children. We've unpacked this over and over, okay? Do not let a manipulative father or mother take a verse like this out of context to manipulate you so that you'll listen to them and be obedient to them if you're 30 years old and you got two kids and you got a wife. We've been very clear on this. You are glued to your spouse now. You've created your own family. And you have no biblical or moral obligation uh, to act like you did when you were a child and do everything they tell you to do, if that makes sense. The idea here is obey your parents. And obeying your parents is different than honoring your father and mother. Obeying your parents before you're an adult, is how you honor your father and mother. And obviously, as you grow up, as you move out, as you hit a different stage of life, your parents hit a different stage of life, uh, that changes the way you honor your parents. The word obey here means to fully comply with their parents' instruction. It means that as a child in a household, this is literally what it means, you have no opinion on the matter. Now, let me back this up by what I said with uh, wives having submission to their husbands similarly in that vein. Obeying your parents is conditional upon obedience to God. So in other words, if you're a teenager in here, if you're a kid in here and you love Jesus and you've been saved, uh, you don't obey your parents if they're telling you to disown God, renounce God, telling you to do something immoral, illegal, or biblically unethical. I'll never remember when I was doing a youth ministry at one place, there was a kid that came to me. He was saved. He knew the Lord. And he was like, I'm really struggling because my dad's trying to get me to help him rip people off in a certain way. And I was like, you got to tell your dad you can't do that because you're saved. You're a Christian. You don't do those kinds of things. So it's not a blind obedience is what I'm saying. Richard Koken says in his commentary on this verse, children don't have to obey parents because parents are more important than children. They aren't. But as part of a child's loving obedience to Christ. So, children, you obey your parents because you're a Christian. Secondly, children, you obey your parents because of the benefits. Look what it says in verse 2. Y'all still with me? Say, I am. When, when would we ever, ever go over this verse if we didn't go through this book verse by verse? Amen, y'all. Like, when are you going to hear a sermon like this on these verses, right? In verse 2, it says, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. As I've said now, secondly, the second motivation is children obey your parents because of the benefits. Here Paul repeats one of the big ten commandments. In the Old Testament, there's ceremonial laws, which is where we get the majority of the Levitical laws, over 600 of them. 
And then there's the moral law, which pretty much encompasses what we call the Ten Commandments. One of those being really what he repeats here. Honor your father and mother from Exodus 20 verse 12 and Deuteronomy 5 verse 16. And what Paul is saying is obedience to parents brings with it a blessing in this world just as it brought with it a blessing to the Israelite children in the Old Testament. If I could repeat what Paul is saying is when you're obedient to your parents, it leads to wellness and long life. Now, obviously, this does not mean that you're never going to get sick and and you might not get in a car wreck one day or something like that just because you're being obedient to your parents. No, this is what the Bible refers to as proverbial wisdom. In fact, we're going to go through the book of Proverbs verse by verse, uh, probably after Easter this year most likely, and you'll see that every chapter in the book of Proverbs, just about every chapter starts off with, my son, my son, my kids. My Hey, here's some wisdom. Here's some proverbial wisdom for every one of you guys. Chuck Swindoll says in his commentary again on this, children who learn from the wisdom of their parents will avoid all sorts of destructive hardships and even deadly consequences. If you're a teenager or a kid in here, you're going to hear from your parents all the time, I've made this mistake, don't you make it too. This is what the Bible's speaking to. Even if your parents aren't believers, they probably have some wisdom to offer you because they've done a lot of dumb stuff and they can help you avoid doing the exact same dumb stuff, if that makes sense. Paul is saying, not only will you be rewarded in heaven, you will be rewarded in the fullness of your life now. So you're obedient to your parents. I can remember we lived in North Carolina and I served at a church there for about three years. And when we moved over there, my daughter was about one and a half, two years old. And uh, we moved back. She was four or five. I think I'm doing the math on that right. Just everybody say amen if I did the math on that right. Amen. Even if I did it wrong, say amen. Amen. Okay. And she missed North Carolina. Our daughter Elizabeth did. And one day she woke up, and she wasn't mad at us or anything. She was just like, I miss everybody in North Carolina. I'm running away, and I'm going back to North Carolina. And so my wife said, okay, you can do that. You can do that. I'm going to help you pack your bags. I'm going to help you get everything ready. But remember, our rule is at the house, you can't leave the yard. So offsets my daughter in the yard. She gets to the edge of the yard, and she can't leave the yard. So that stopped her whole running away attempt. Y'all know what I mean? That's the idea behind obedience to parents. You let a four or five-year-old try to walk back to North Carolina and run away, there's going to be all kinds of pain, all kinds of problem. You may not even live. But parents put rules in place and say, don't leave the yard to protect you. And if you follow those rules, it can lead to a longer life. Young folks in here, you need to know that the reason God has placed parents in authority over you is because you need guidance you need wisdom, and you need protection. And your parents are supposed to provide that for you. The idea here is that you honor your father and your mother. You respect them. You obey them willingly. This isn't an oppressive thing. This is something that as a child of God, as a Christian, even if you're a child, even if you're a teenager, you do this willingly. It's important to note that disobedience to parents in Romans chapter 1 verse 30, let me just give you a couple of examples, is a characteristic 
of pagan depravity. Romans chapter 1, verse 30 says, it lists all these sins off and it equates it with a list of sins I would encourage you to go read. Disobedience to parents is described as one of the evils of the last days in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. Disobedience to parents is treated as serious as idolatry in the Old Testament. Paul just repeated those, the Ten Commandments that's out of Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. But what he didn't repeat is that in the Old Testament, if someone did not honor their parents, they were instructed to be stoned to death as punishment. And you thought being sent to your room was bad. You throw a hissy fit over getting your phone taken. Thank goodness we live under the new covenant and you're not being stoned to death. Can I get a good amen from everybody in here? Amen? God uses such strong language. Why? As we stated the last two weeks, marriage is the most powerful living illustration that there is of the love that God has for His children. But clearly, the reason it's used all through Scripture, the second most powerful living illustration is the relationship of children with their parents. Obeying parents is the most peaceful thing to do, and it is the morally right thing to do. One theologian puts it like this. Listen to this. As a child clears the dishes or tidies their bedroom or comes home before midnight and struggles to understand why this is such a big deal for their parents, they don't have to believe that their parents know best. They often don't, nor accept that a cleared table or a clean bedroom is morally superior. It isn't. They just need to remember that obeying their parent is the right thing because Jesus has asked them to do it and that these are opportunities to please their Savior. So children, number one, it starts out in chapter 6 of Ephesians with children, obey your parents, and gives these two motivations. But then I love what Paul does here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit because he backs it up in verse 4 by making sure he speaks specifically to the fathers. You could paint this with a broad brush and say this is to the parents. And, and, And I love it because... It's as if he's saying, children, be obedient, but fathers, this does not give you a free pass to be harsh, to be unloving, or to be unnecessarily mean to your children for whatever reason, because then he speaks to fathers and gives some tips to them in verse 4 when he says, y'all still with me? Say, I am. Fathers, do not exasperate. That's a big word. Everybody say, exasperate exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Paul here speaks directly to the men of the household. The man of the house. Leader of the house. Speaks to the father. Now, As I preach through this, understand, this is not meant to downgrade a single mom in here or someone that has been through a divorce 
and single mom, you're raising your kids on your own. In many cases, I've seen single moms do a better job of raising their kids in the Lord uh, than a lot of dads do. So single moms, you are crushing it if you're here today and you have your kids here today. So don't take this personal, what the Bible's saying here. But the Bible speaks directly to the fathers. Men at Revolution Church, you need to understand, I'm getting ready to read some statistics to you. This isn't Josh's opinion. These are statistics from places like the Center for Disease Control, uh, different places that I'll tell you where I get them from. When you read these men in here, this should light a fire under you to fill a gap for some kid at Revolution Church that doesn't have a father in the home and has no fatherly influence. Listen to some of these stats that I'm going to give you. And I believe this is the world catching up with what the Bible is teaching. Why does it just address the fathers? Listen to this. 90% of homeless and runaway children, according to the Bureau of the Census, are from fatherless homes. 71% of pregnant teenagers lack a father, according to the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes, according to the census. 85% of children, 85% of children who exhibit behavioral disorders come from fatherless homes, according to the Center for Disease Control. 71% of high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. 85% of youths that are in prison grew up in a fatherless home. 85% according to the Department of Corrections. Today, the number one most reliable get involved in crime, the number one most reliable predictor of teenage pregnancy is not your race, it's not your socioeconomic status, it's not the neighborhood you grow up in, it's the structure of the home that you live in. Is everybody with me? Say amen. Very important. God says, fathers, don't exasperate your children. I love that word, exasperate. What this means is, let me read it to you in a couple of different translations. One translation says, do not provoke your children to anger lest they become discouraged. Another translation says, don't goad your children to resentment. Now, what this does not mean, and we'll get into this here in just a minute, this does not mean that you're not supposed to make your kids angry. You cannot parent your kids and do a good job and not make them angry. One commentator says children needs lots of disciplined love and loving discipline, not indulgence, and on the other side of that, not bullying. What this does mean is don't be too severe in your discipline. Don't have unreasonable demands. Don't be inconsistent or have unfair rules. Don't humiliate your kids. Don't be insensitive to your kids. Don't fail to recognize your child's weaknesses or needs, which means you need to have a relationship. Don't be the parent that constantly criticizes your kids. 
Parents in here, here's just a wisdom tip. Maybe most of the things you don't like that your kids are doing aren't necessarily moral. Maybe they're cultural. Remember when you grew up and you didn't understand why they made such a big deal about the fact that you had long hair? Is everybody with me? Say amen. And now you listen to your kids' music and you want to lose your mind and smack them till their ears ring? That's something cultural. Maybe they use different language. Maybe they dress a certain way and you don't like the way they dress. I hate man buns. Y'all know what I'm saying? I'm with you, okay? Probably I'm just jealous because I'm losing my hair. You know what I mean? And I know what's happening. See, I'm 44 now. What's happening is my hair is sucking in my head and it's coming out of my nose and my ears. Y'all know what I mean? Any of the old guys in here with me? Amen, y'all? I'm not losing it. It's just coming out different places, okay, y'all? I don't know why I said that. What was I talking about? It's cultural, okay? If you go to students on a Wednesday night, y'all, if you've never been, it'll blow your mind. You'll have no clue what these kids are talking about. There's some words that kids are using nowadays that I don't even know what they mean. I was asking my daughter and my son, one's 16, the other's 12, this week, like, what does this stuff mean? When I hear somebody say, yeet, what does that mean? Anybody over 30 in here using the word yeet? No. Yeet? What does that mean? What does on cap mean? You know what I mean? I think this next one may be a bad one. Riz, you know what I mean? Like that's so riz or something like that. If that's bad, please forgive me if that's like a cuss word, okay, y'all? And I see the young people in here laughing at me right now. I have no clue what this means. On fleek, dab up. My son taught me a new one this week. He's like, dog water, man. That's dog water. I'm like, what is that? I could get mad at him, but it's a cultural thing. Is everybody with me? Say amen. If you ever hear me using words like that when I'm up here preaching, you got to come tell me, Pastor, you're old. You're just old. Keep rocking the sweater vest. You're going to be old, man. Come on. You know what I mean? Don't laugh at my sweater vest, y'all. Consider that. See, what this means is, let me put it this way, you don't push your kids or put them in a position where they feel like they can never please you. Your kids should never have the idea, you know, nothing I do makes dad happy, so why even try? Nothing I do makes mom happy, so why even try? This is literally what this means. One preacher put it like this. What this means for you as a parent is you have to love your kids more than you love the dreams you have for them. Because when you love the dreams you have for your kids more than you love your kids, they'll be resentful. They'll be discouraged. I can't tell you how many parents I see. They were an athlete and they're living it through their kids and they push them and they push them in sports, and they push them. What happens? They end up hating sports. They end up resenting their parents. I think the only reason they love me is because I play sports. And that's not what your kids are supposed to think. Don't bring them to resentment. With overbearing actions, a father can push their child over the edge, so to speak. And what this causes is it pushes your kids away from you, away from your wife, and more importantly, 
It'll push them away from Jesus because they'll throw the baby out with the bathwater. If you expect your children to obey you, you have to be sensible. You have to be clear. You have to be consistent. So we don't bring them to anger. We don't goad them into discouragement. But we do, we do a couple of things that the Bible tells us. It says, don't make them angry and make them resent you, but do bring them up. The phrase bring them up comes from a Greek word, ektrepho. This is an interesting word because it's the same word that's used in chapter 5, verse 29 of Ephesians that we just went through last week that refers to how a man nourishes their own flesh and likely, likewise must nourish his wife and provide for his wife. What this implies with your children, fathers, is long-term relational care, not rapid mechanistic results. So just as a husband nourishes and cares for his wife, fathers should nourish, nurture, nourish their children. We went through a whole list of these last week, so I'm not going to repeat them in detail like we did last week, but the idea is fathers provide and care for their children. Physically they provide, mentally they provide, emotionally they provide, and most importantly, spiritually you provide. So we bring them up. And then it uses this phrase, we train them in training. The word training here in the Greek, literally the definition is corrective discipline. Corrective discipline. What did I tell you guys last week that are husbands? You should be the disciplinarian in your home. Your wife should be able to look at your kids and say, wait till your dad gets home and they straighten right up because they know dad's going to bring the heat when he gets home. So corrective discipline, we have to discipline our children. We're not their friend, we're their parent. Is everybody with me? Say amen. amen. We are their parent. And let me just give you some advice. If you don't discipline your kids when they're young, it's no wonder they can't keep a job when they get older. It's no wonder they flunk out of every class they're in because as soon as somebody fails them, they run home to mommy and daddy. As soon as their boss tries to hold them accountable for something and they get a bad review, they quit immediately because they're never, they've never been used to any type of negative reinforcement. Now, we have corrective discipline. Now, in order to do discipline justice, we've got to talk about the elephant in the room when it comes to discipline, especially in Christian households and in churches. Somebody just said it. Somebody said spanking. I hope you were talking about your kids and not your husband, but anyway. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Spanking. Because let's be honest, most churches, most churches are black and white in this area. Some of y'all grew up in an old school church. Spare the rod, spoil the child. That's exactly right. But is that really referring to corporal punishment? Some of y'all, maybe you go to another kind of church. It's kind of a lot of young people. They don't believe in spanking. They don't believe in it. Let me ask a question in here. How many of y'all sitting in here are over 50, 55 years old? Raise your hand. Look at all those people. Okay. Okay. Statistically, if you just raised your hand, most likely when you grew up and got in trouble, you got your butt wore out. 
you got your hide tanned. You may have grown up in a school where when kids were bad, the principal had a paddle in their office. Yeah, see everybody shaking their head, this odor in here? And they get their butt whooped. You're at church today and you turned out all right. Everybody in here that is under 30, 35 years old, raise your hand. Please put your hand up if you're under 30. Come on, y'all, put your hand up. Oh, there's a lot of y'all in here too. Statistically, statistically, I know this isn't everybody, but statistically, if you just raised your hand, you've probably never gotten a butt whooping in your life. Nobody's ever whooped you. Nobody's, they don't do corporal punishment. I think maybe they technically do it in schools now, but you have to sign a waiver and all this stuff and they're just too, everybody's too afraid to get sued nowadays. Y'all know what I'm saying? And so, like, they, they don't really do that kind of punishment anymore in schools and stuff like that. You guys turned out all right. Sitting in church right now, some of our best leaders are young leaders that have never been whooped before. I think that the best way for me to illustrate this is not for me to illustrate it and take all the heat from you guys and all the emails. It's for my boy Andy Griffith. To do it. So, y'all check this clip out for me real quick, and then I'll summarize and we'll close this sermon out, okay? Check this out real quick. Go ahead and play that. Out. And continued to ride his bicycle on the sidewalk. Now, we're going to impound that bicycle. He learns to use it according to regulation. Oh, for heaven's sake, Sheriff, can't you see this is a very sensitive child? Obviously, you don't understand him. Arnold's a good boy, you just don't understand him. Oh, I think I understand him. He's a good boy, really. A little high-spirited, perhaps, but weren't we all at his age? I wasn't. <laughs> the law's the law, Mr. Winkler. Now, if we don't teach children to live in society today, what's going to happen to them when they grow up? For heaven's sake, Sheriff, the boy's not a criminal. I didn't say he was. Now, what he does at home is none of our business. But when he gets out on the street, he's going to have to answer to us. I can show you in the statute book. The minimum punishment for this offense is impounding the bicycle for one... <laughs> You can't do it. I demand you return that bike and now. Now, you look here. You're that boy's father. You're responsible for his actions. Now, he's too young to be locked up. But if you're not going to take responsibility, maybe I ought to lock you up. You ever think of that? Yeah. Well, my dad ain't scared of that, are you? Make them put you in jail. That'll show him. Go on, Dad. Show them they can't push me around. Go on. Put him in jail. He won't care. How's that? My dad'll show you. He's tough. You, uh, you want me to lock your father up? He ain't afraid of you. I don't want to lose my brand new bike. I just got it. You'd rather I put your father in jail? Sheriff, there won't be any need to impound that bike. How's that? I'd like to have it. I'm going to sell it. Sell it? You're going to sell my bike? That's right, Arnold. But it's my bike. You can't sell my bike. Be quiet, Arnold. <laughs> Marty, you want to go get the bicycle? And four. No, 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 no. I won't let you. You can't do that. Arnold, be quiet. Mr. Winkler, would you like to continue this father and son discussion in quiet? No. I say, would you like to continue this in quiet? There's a real nice woodshed out back. Woodshed? Mm-hmm. Good old-fashioned woodshed? Real nice one.
gets banned, Paul? Don't you think he deserves it? I don't want to say. After all, he is one of my own kind. <laughs> Here's the idea in scripture. Every child needs to have a woodshed. Does that mean you spank every child? No. In fact, some of you wish you were spanked sometimes by your parents. I've heard from some people, man, I wish my dad would have just spanked me instead of sitting me down for two hours and giving me a lecture. Just get it over with and whoop me already. I don't want to hear you talk. So for some, it doesn't work you got to figure out what that negative reinforcement is for a child. For some, it's time out. For some, it's a whooping. For some, it's I'm taking your phone. For some, it's you're grounded. For some, it's you can't go to your friends this week. Whatever. This is the idea in Scripture. Corrective discipline. Tony Evans says this, The mark of an authentic parent is that they are not out to please the child. They are out to do what's best for the child. If a parent pleases the child all the time, the child is the parent. Let's close it down. The last instruction is for fathers to give them instruction of the Lord. And this means really two things, that we parent them in a Christian way, so it's your example, parents, right, fathers, and we teach them the Christian way. And I've given three simple things that I think are lifted straight out of the book of Ephesians. This doesn't encompass everything. Obviously, I've went over how you need to do discipleship at home. You need to do all those things and be teaching your kids. But really, just in what we've read over the last three weeks when we've talked about the home and how it functions, number one, what this means, the best thing you can do for your kids in here is wives, submit to your husband. If If you're confused about what submission is, and you want to know what that is, and you weren't here for that sermon, please go online and watch it, because it's probably not what you think it is. Secondly, husbands, love your wife. Love your wife. That is the greatest example your kids will ever see of the love that the Father and the love that Jesus has for His church, His bride. And Thirdly, I'll recommend this to you. Plug your family into a solid church. Plug your family into a solid church. Not a cool church. It's okay if they're cool and they're solid. Not a a church that has the best programs. I'm talking about a church that teaches Scripture where you can learn, where it's not all surface every single Sunday. My recommendation to you is very strongly to find a church that preaches verse by verse through books of the Bible and large passages of Scripture. So fathers, mothers, you can learn Scripture and teach it to your kids What I found is, again, wisdom principle, clearly we're called to assemble together, is that when people are involved in a solid church, it usually spills over into their marriage and into their relationship with their kids. When young people are involved with a solid church that is doing the best they can, not just to grab numbers, not just to be cool, but to literally like disciple kids. Not so they come and just win a free TV, okay, y'all? I'm talking about they come and they learn Scripture. They get connected to people that are going to pour into them where they can confess their sins so that they can be healed. It spills over into their relationship with their parents. Dad, it's your job to get them to church. Your kids should have a drug problem. You drug them to church their whole life. 
when they were growing up. Is everybody with me? Let me pray for you guys. Lord, we love you. We thank you for today. I thank you so much for the book of Ephesians. What an incredible book. I pray for every single parent that is under the sound of my voice, that you lead them and guide them. I pray for every single child, teenager, uh, student that is under the sound of my voice, that you lead them and guide them. This is some of the most applicational scripture that there is in the New Testament. It gets down to the nitty-gritty. And I just pray that we've planted on good soil this weekend. We love you in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. If you're encouraged by today's message, be sure and rate us and subscribe on iTunes.